0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Max. Um, brief word before we jump into the uh, content for today. Uh, uh, just a, a quick thank you to everyone who uh, listens to the podcast, anyone who has uh, subscribed, rated, reviewed. Uh, just before my, I posted my previous episode, I uh, just passed the 5,000 uh, listens mark. And uh, in the, listen, in the grand scheme of the podcast world, I don't know how great that is or good that is, um, but it's something, and you know when I started this about a year ago during uh, lockdown when my family and I were randomly living in an Airbnb in Texas, I wasn't sure if anyone besides my wife and a couple friends were going to listen, and so it does feel good that uh, people do listen and have subscribed and uh, get things out of it, and the feedback that I've gotten has been wonderful, and I appreciate that as well. So I just want to say thank you real quick uh, before before we hop in. And so with that, let's, uh, let's continue to talk about the church and what it means to, the church, to be the church. And today we're going to talk about uh, what it means to be the body of Christ. So let's go. Okay, so the body of Christ. It's probably the most famous metaphor uh, for the church in the New Testament. I mean, you can't go a Sunday service without someone referencing it, whether that's in a song, a sermon, or just in some offhanded remark, you know, made while the offering plate is being passed around or announcements or something like that. The church is to be and is the body of Christ. And there's, I think, good reason for this fame, Um, it seems to be Paul's favorite metaphor for what it means to be the church. He uses it all over the place. Um, the two main places he uses it are in his letter to the Romans and Corinthians, and it makes an appearance in a bunch of his other writings as well, um, but he has these large sections in Romans and 1 Corinthians devoted to the body of Christ, and it isn't just that he uses it that is impressive or I think should make us take notice. It's how he uses it, at what time he uses it, and the weight that he puts on it. When you put it in context with uh, the rest of the letter and what he's trying to do, the weight that he, he places on that argument, on that metaphor, is, is quite hefty uh, in both cases. In each of those letters, the image of the church being Christ's body is used at an absolute crucial point in his argument. In his letter to the Romans, the image comes uh, at his kind of pivot point in the whole letter. He's just spent 11 chapters laying out this theological treatise of sin and salvation and God's redemptive work in history and Christ and eschatology and election and God's mystery and all of these things. And in chapter 12, he makes this pivot, and the pivot is his big, uh, using air quotes, his big therefore, and he says to open chapter 12, therefore, in light of all of these things, present your body as a living sacrifice. Now, remember that for a second. We're obviously, we're talking about the church collective as Christ's body. But here in, in Romans 12, he's going to open up this chapter with actually two references to the body. And the first one is not about the church collective. That's the second. But the first one is about your physical body. And I don't think we should... We have to see that connection, I think, because that connection is there for a reason. And so everything, so the first one is your physical body. And the second one then that he goes on is, you know, don't think of yourself more highly than others. Remember that you are the body of Christ. And he he goes on from there. And everything that Paul continues on from there and continues to exhort the church to do, to love their neighbor, uh, to obey the government, to not repay evildoers with evil, to care for their brothers, all of these things, and so on and so forth. He lists a whole bunch of things, uh, starting in Romans 12 and then going on through 13 and 14. All of these are built upon that, that first image of us being the body, and that your body, your physical body, your skin and bones body belongs to God because you are part of His body. Meaning this, and here's that that link and why we need to see that Paul uses the word body to talk about your individual physicality and your, uh, you could say, theological, ecclesiological identity as part of Christ's body, is that your physicality is now the manifestation of Christ's, of his, that your actions, words, gestures, humility, everything that he goes on to say... Your love, they are the physical incarnation of the body of Christ. As one musician puts it, Christ has no body but yours. And that is a lot of weight to put on a single metaphor. That it's not only your ecclesiological identity, it's this physicality. It's this singularity, it's your body is Christ's body because your body is part of this larger group that is collectively the body of Christ. And But Paul doesn't seem, for all of the length that he puts in, it's a, it's a hefty section. And then when you really actually consider that the role that that opening section in Romans 12 is playing in 12, 13, and 14 in particular... Um, it, uh, those whole that whole section, those whole three chapters, is really built on that. That whole thing is an, a theological um, unwinding, so to speak, of what it means to be the body of Christ to have experienced all of the things that he said in the first eleven chapters. But Paul doesn't blink. Um, he doesn't seem to think that that's too much away because he he uses it again in First Corinthians in what is probably the the i think clearly the largest section on being the body and that's first corinthians 12 through 14 which again is a single literary unit that uh, is obviously about spiritual gifts and chapter 13 about love is actually about using spiritual gifts to love and love being greater than spiritual gifts and and those three chapters are about how we're supposed to use our gifts in the corporate life of the church, that's Paul's main point, Uh, is that everything that we've been given from God is meant to be used for the edification of others and to use your gifts uh, for the betterment of others in mind. That's the point. It's not to serve yourself. It's to serve others. And that basic idea, I mean, there's a ton that we could say about First Corinthians 12 through 14, but that basic idea that your gifts that God's given you, uh, the way that you're to use them in the group is for the betterment of everyone else. That basic idea is built on, again, the metaphor of the body. And so this three chapter literary unit is Paul systematically building a case about spiritual gifts, about the work of the Spirit, and the way that he does it is by employing the metaphor of the body. And so what does it mean then to be the body of Christ? Again, there's a ton that we could say, but there's something particular that I want to put my finger on here, and we'll get there in just one second. But what does it mean to be the body of Christ first? Well, it means that we are one, you, the listener, me, the speaker right now, that we are one, that we belong to each other, that we are interconnected in a way that honestly should terrify us more than it does, that we need one another, that we're indebted to one another, and that we exist to serve God and each other. No one, Paul says, ever hated his own body, you shouldn't either both your physical body and Christ's body, of which you are. But it also means, so there's this element of oneness, but it also means, as I stated earlier, that we are mysteriously and mystically the incarnation of Christ on the earth. In Ephesians, the very end of Ephesians 1, Paul employs this language again when he describes Christ as the head, that's body language, the church as his body, his fullness, by which he fills all things everywhere with himself. Or some translations will say, All things every uh he fills all things in all. The point being that the church is. Christ's physical manifestation on the earth, and it's by that that he is filling the cosmos with himself. And so, if I were to ask you the question, where is Christ? Where is Christ? Theologically, I don't think you can any more say that Christ is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Then you can say that he is on earth in his body, the church, filling all things everywhere with himself. That if I were to ask you, where is Jesus? You you can't just say he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. You also cannot just say he's on earth in his body. You have to say both of them simultaneously together, that Christ is the one who not only died and resurrected, but ascended to the right hand of the Father. From there, He will also come again to judge the living of the dead. But He is also the one who is in His one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church that is filling all things everywhere with his own fullness with himself, that he is the ascended one at the right hand of the Father, and he is the incarnate one in his body on the earth, that we have to say both of those things when we answer the question, where is Jesus? And the body also speaks, the image of the body also speaks about our uniqueness too, and this is is clear, especially in 1 Corinthians, but also in, in Romans, that although we are one body, we consist of many parts, many functions, many gifts that the Spirit has given. One Spirit, he emphasizes, but he's given us different things to do different things. But all of our uniqueness is a manifestation of Christ, who is the triune God, because our, multiple, all our multiplicity, like His, both flows from our unity and serves our unity. Now, just like the Trinity is three in one, and that multiplicity of three flows out of its, out of His oneness, it also serves His oneness. In the same way, our oneness as the body is the bond of peace that holds our multiplicity together despite all of our uniquenesses, despite all of our differences, and that those uniquenesses and differences and giftings and callings are meant to actually be used to strengthen that very same bond of peace and unity that we find in his oneness in being the body of Christ. But all of these truths, they're deep wells and worthy of meditation, their treasure troves waiting to be discovered. And there's much, much, much more than we can say, obviously, than what I've said in the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes or whatever here. But there is a place in which all of these truths converge. and, And that is where I want to park on here just for a moment longer. There's a singular point, a singular moment in which the metaphor of being the body of Christ mysteriously ceases to just be a metaphor and turns into something, I would say, more mystical. A place where Christ's physical body, and our physical body, in the union of our being and His coming together, as well as all the other things that we could theologically say about what it means to be a body, a place where all of those things converge. And if I could use the word this way, incarnate. If I could use the word incarnation as a verb, they incarnate, they, they come alive, they are vivified, they, they have life flowing in them and they actually become something living and breathing and moving for us to see. And that place, that place is the Eucharist. It's the table of the Lord. It's at the table of the Lord that the body of Christ partakes of the body of Christ in order that we might become the truer body of Christ. I'll let you figure out which body is which in that statement. But said another way, it's in the broken bread and the poured out wine that we, the people of God, partake of the person of God in order that we might be transformed into his image and likeness in a new and mysterious, and I'll say it again, I know this is my third time using the word, but mystical way. I mean, And I'm using that word repetitive, repeatedly on purpose because I think there, there is something mystical, something mysterious, something deep. There is, to quote the Chronicles of Narnia, there is some deeper magic, some older magic at work here. And that's every time we come to the Lord's table. And at the heart of the Christian faith is our faith in the incarnation of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the God-man, the one who always has been coming to us as one of us to rescue us from sin and death. And he does this through his own death so that we who are held captive by death and the fear of death may be free from it and he now holds the keys of death and hell so that now even death and hell are filled with christ and the way in which jesus chose to enact that story and those truths and the way in which we as the church for two thousand years have continued to do continue to enact that is in the breaking of bread and the pouring of wine it's in the eucharist it's in the priest and the, or the bishop saying, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. That the bread broken is the body of Christ broken for us and given for us, given to us, I should say. That the, the, bread, of, that the bread broken is the body of Christ broken for us and given to us. So that after eating, we might become the body of Christ broken and given to the world. So that the Eucharist is this participatory enactment of what it means to actually be the body of Christ. And as my friend and previous guest of this podcast, uh, Glenn Packiam, says he has a book by this very title, that we are now the ones who are blessed, broken, and given. Just as Christ took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it, when we participate in that, when he hands us that bread and we eat and he hands us that cup and we drink, we now become that bread. We become his body that is blessed and broken and given now for our neighbor, for our enemy, and for the world. Uh, Along these lines, St. Ignatius, in one of his letters to uh, the Romans, to the church at Rome, he's on his way to his death, on his way to martyrdom, and he's writing this letter and he's basically pleading with them not to intervene. It's a fascinating letter. You can find it for free online. But he has this, there's a passage in here that I want to read. He says, this please let me be thrown to the wild beasts through them i can reach god i am god's wheat i am ground by the teeth of the wild beasts that i may end as the pure bread of christ so ignatius he is he is seeing this connection between the eucharist and his own physical body And in the same way that that bread is broken and the the wheat is ground and then baked and then broken and then given, he sees his own body as being crushed and broken and given for the life of the world, that in the end, in the end, he might actually partake of Christ, that he might reach God, that the thing that the Eucharist is giving to us he believes that he will reach fully when he takes that on in an even more real sense in his own death. That's just a fact. I just can't get over that way of seeing your own life and thinking. And there's an ancient practice that we can see in um, a bunch of different writings from the early church that is still practiced in many, many of the Christian traditions Today, not all, but in some, that highlights the convergence of Christ's physical body and our physical bodies and our being and becoming his singular body composed of many parts. And that is the practice of eating from one singular loaf and drinking from one singular chalice. And if we read the story of the Last Supper carefully, what we see is that a singular loaf of bread is passed around and broken, and likewise a singular chalice of wine is passed around and, and drank from. And that small detail was picked up by the early church, and again, is still practiced by many traditions today, and has always been, that they will take of one loaf and, ba- and break it, and everyone will eat from that, lo- that one loaf and so that everyone comes forward to the priest or to the bishop and that same loaf is continually broken over and over and over and everyone eats from the same loaf and it is a a way in which everyone in the congregation is participating in this act and uh, of of faith and really of almost prophecy of embodying their being the body of Christ and also eating of the body of Christ in its singularity. The statement is that Christ has one body and that we all partake of that one body. And likewise, when that bread enters their stomach, they all become one body. And so the singularity of the loaf and of the chalice become this living enactment, this living symbol which the Holy Spirit infuses with his life and with his presence. And so that we eat of one body as one body and then as we eat, we continually become one body. And I'll end with this, another quote from Ignatius. He says, come together in common, one and all without exception in charity, in one faith, in one Jesus Christ, who is of the race of David according to the flesh, the Son of Man, the Son of God, so that with undivided mind you may obey the bishop and the priests and break one bread, which is the medicine of immortality and the antidote against death, enabling us to live forever in Jesus Christ. And so this coming weekend, as you Go to your own service as you go to the church. As you think about this through the throughout the week leading up to that, think about being the body. As part of the body, partaking. If you're going to take the Eucharist, partake of the Eucharist this weekend, becoming the body as you partake of His body. But what it means to for us to be the body is not just this mystical illusion or metaphor or image there is physicality to it there's physicality to it in our own bodies what i said about romans 12 and there's physicality to it in christ's body in the fact that he had a body in christ's body in that that's now in a loaf of bread in which we eat and that all of that physicality converges in our own bodies again when we eat of it that we are partaking and eating of physical bread that is his body filled with the spirit and we then become his body and i i want to just end by just highlighting again that physicality that even this weekend as you go to gather and to worship and to sing and to hear preaching may you in a new way be filled with a sense of being part of the body of christ and so with that i'll say thank you again for listening for subscribing for leaving any kind of review if you ever have a question or want to submit a, a topic ideal you can uh, email me in the uh, show notes in the description below would love to hear from you thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time